have all the data and all the intel and all the intel and scoop and all the scoop and knowledge and all the knowledge and experience in the world. And all you know is that the eruption's coming. You don't know when it's coming any more than I do, any more than the rest of you do. And that's what makes tonight's show particularly interesting. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday, February 26th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed, high atop a damp but also a little anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of chaos going on behind the scenes. I know when I last spoke with you, we just talked about that old Pac-12 deal. And some of you, as I expected, came to me and said, that's interesting, but I'm a Virginia Tech fan. What does that really matter to me? And I tried my best to explain it. And if you didn't get it, that means I failed. That doesn't mean that you just didn't see the bigger picture, but the picture's getting bigger and bigger by the moment. And we'll talk about it in just a second. Uh, Big Ten questions, got a lot of them as we head into spring. Not about conference realignment, or maybe so, but I'm talking about football tonight. Also, college football coaches are leaving our sport. Or at least that's the going theory, and there are many thoughts out there as to why. I've got a couple of them. But in particular, I will talk to my friends down in Gainesville, Florida. Nay, I will speak to a college football public on behalf of my friends down in Gainesville, Florida tonight. Very back and forth, hot and cold relationship Late Kick has with Swamp 24-7, but I think we'll be on the good side of history tonight. They're watching us, speaking of which, in Melbourne, Florida, Vancouver, British Columbia, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and Toccoa, Georgia, all tuned in. Appreciate you guys for checking out Season 3 of Outer Banks. It's a labor of love. For those of you who have no clue what I'm talking about, I tried for a long time to convince an interested public that I am not the Josh Pate that created Outer Banks and writes Outer Banks, along with apparently his brother Jonas Pate, but to no avail. Didn't matter how many times I told people, no, that's not me. It's just coincidence. It's like every time I batted two of them away, three more would come at me. So forget it. I'm not denying it anymore. I'm just leaning into it. And it's been made all the suspicious, as it was pointed out to me last night by a couple of folks, that in this new season of Outer Banks... There is a pretty intense train hopping scene. Whomst have thunk it? Not I. Uh, Late Kick Extra, it's going to be Tuesday. Thursday this week, we're going to be live from Indianapolis at the Combine. Shortly after, I'm told a snowstorm will sweep into Indianapolis. So it could be uh, one of those classic escape from Indiana situations. Meemaw used to tell me about them all the time. Where is our sport going? Where is college football going? How will you be watching SEC or ACC or Big 12 or Big 10 or... Which one did I leave? Pac-12 football. There we go. How are you going to be watching the games down the road? There are a lot of things being just shouted out into the ether because a lot of folks are moving around and a lot of things are happening. It's just confusing. What I just said is confusing. I don't even know what I just said. At least I'm man enough to admit it. Some of you shout in these microphones and don't even admit when you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I don't exactly know how this is going to turn out. And I have that in combination with everyone else in the room. And... That makes all of us kind of equal right now. So what's happening? Well, it's not one thing. It's a lot of things. But I've told you for the better part of two months now, I keep on using the volcanic metaphors and I'll continue to use it. We keep getting more and more signs. We keep getting more and more trigger mechanisms falling into place that indicate something big's coming in college football and something big could be coming not just in one part of the country, which brings us back to the last time you and I spoke. We talked about the Pac-12 and how they were really struggling to get a media rights deal secured. Nothing has changed from then to now. And so it looks every bit as treacherous and uncertain out on the West Coast as it did 72 hours ago. But something else happened. And I know a lot of you may be tuned out 
and you just rely on our show to keep you up to date with what's going on in college football, good strategy. I wouldn't waste my time with this if I were you either. We're here to waste our time so that you don't have to waste your time. There was a little board of trustees meeting down in, I think, Tallahassee, Florida. I know that the AD of Florida State University, Michael Alford, spoke at said bot meeting, board of trustees meeting. And uh, he said something that reminded me and hopefully reminded you what I've been saying. Stop focusing on the Pac-12. It's more like a more like a multifaceted eruption that's on deck. There's so much going on behind the scenes. Now, here's the trade-off, and it's kind of unfortunate. In exchange for some people inside our industry, the media industry, letting you know some of the things that are going on behind the scenes, the very next breath they use to say, now don't say that on air. Now don't talk about this publicly. So instead, I've just tried to breadcrumb you along a little bit. And uh, when the Michael Alfords of the world step up and say what they said, it's like a green light. I I don't need to rely on sourcing anymore. It's just out in the open. It's public. Florida State's got a situation on their hands. Clemson's got a situation on their hands. And the situation is essentially they are screaming at anyone who will listen, we are worth too much and we're making too little on our media rights deal. And unlike the Pac-12, which is up for renegotiation now, unlike the Big Ten, which just renegotiated and they'll have another one in 2030, unlike the SEC that just re-upped and it won't start until 2024 and they all made bank, and unlike the Big 12, which just renegotiated and will have another one coming up in 2031, the ACC has been locked in since 2016 and it doesn't come up again until 2036. And as you can see, the frightening numbers on your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, those teams are making about 17 mil per year combined. uh, Well, I mean, I guess compared to what the SEC and Big Ten make, it's untenable. So I think it was best summarized in Jim Henry's article in the Tallahassee Democrat when he was reading some of the minutes and some of the exchanges from this board of trustees meeting. And it was essentially one of the board of trustees members talking to Michael Alford. And they were, I guess it's conversational, but here's how it read in the article. Quote from the article, FSU board of trustees chair Peter Collins said, it's almost impossible for FSU to compete nationally with the projected revenue disparity. Michael Alford, FSU athletic director interjected, it's impossible. What they mean there is not that they can't put a football team on the field. It's that you can't expect them to compete when they're making fractions of the money that the other teams they're expected to compete against nationally are making. That's common sense. You don't have to have followed this for a second to understand that. You got two possible paths here as far as I see it. The first is a theory, and I'm not so sure. There's a lot of foundation under the theory, but one of the theories is ESPN's the media partner here. So maybe in order for cooler heads to prevail, maybe in order for everyone to get what they want, oh, you just you just renegotiate the revenue share, right? Just tell the conference Florida State's going to get more than Virginia is going to get. Uh, Clemson's going to get more than Virginia Tech's going to get. Well, that's all well and good, except firstly, all those other member institutions shocking though it may be, aren't necessarily just ready, willing, and able to fork up part of the money that is owed to them contractually. And number two, and this is just me theorizing, I don't see the motivation for ESPN. If I were them, and I'm sure the execs listen and hang on every word I say, if I were them, I'd I'd lean back because I've got what I need to have written on paper, on paper. 
if the thing blows up somehow, it blows up, all that's going to happen is those two, all the valuable commodities are going to go to other conferences that we're in bed with anyway, namely the SEC. So let's just let it run its course. We've got a, you know, we've got a wounded animal over here and we've got a pack of lions over there. And then we've got like a, a what, what do alligators run in, Jesse? Are they packs? Are they herds? I don't know. Well, listen, there's a group of alligators over here. Let's just see what happens. Let's just watch and see what happens. There's no master plan, is what I'm trying to tell you. That's what you're going to spend a majority of your time reading on the internet when people talk about this sort of thing. And the ones who talk about it on airwaves, whether it be visual or audio, everyone wants to know what the master plan is going to be. Everyone wants to know what the end game is going to be. I'm telling you there's not one. There are just far too many complicated moving pieces all moving simultaneously. It's like watching the universe and trying to figure out how it works. There's a design behind it. You can't figure it out. And likewise, try figuring out what's about to happen here. In fact, anyone who claims to have intimate knowledge of this, the ones who do have inside information, actual TV executives, get them on record. Tell them, write down what you think is going to happen at every turn and just fold up the piece of paper, put it in a drawer. Let's pull it out in two years and see how right you were. No one's going to be right. See, that's the beauty slash terror in watching a volcanic eruption. You view it from a distance. You're not getting affected. It's really interesting. It's sort of spectacular when it blows up. Man, talk to the folks who are in the same zip code. Talk to the folks who are at the base of that mountain. And the other part of that is it doesn't even matter if you know the eruption's coming. Like in sports media, in television, in conference realignment, I think any of us who have been around more than five minutes understand there's way too much activity. There's way too much smoke for there not to be something coming. They knew Mount St. Helens was going to blow. And then all of a sudden, while everyone was looking at the top, it just blows right out the side. Even when you know the eruption's coming, you have no clue how it's going to erupt. Fascinating footage, kids, for those of you who haven't watched it. So there's this other component. You know, the Pac-12 has been stuck in this thing where, ooh, we, well, first off, we'll take whatever we can get at this point. But, ooh, we don't want to sign away our, our broadcast rights to a streaming company, do we? Ooh, how are they going to find our games? Were they finding them to begin with? That's a low blow, and I apologize. But how are they going to find our games? If we're, if we're majority broadcast on Apple or Amazon, well... I may have some good news for you if you don't want to delve into that world. I had some people, I had some folks in the comment section actually saying, you guys better get used to streaming because everything's going to streaming. Well, no, it's not. That's false. Your favorite shows may have long since gone to streaming. Your favorite movies you may watch by pulling up streaming. Live sports aren't going to streaming. And by live sports, I mean in totality. They aren't going to streaming. You may have to watch Indiana versus Purdue on streaming. You may have to watch... Uh, Kansas State versus Kansas on ESPN Plus. Yeah, you might have to do that, but OU Texas, um, Michigan, Ohio State, there, there is not in any of the foreseeable future a world where that's not on broadcast television. And the reason why, I think it was Chris Vanini that did a really good job explaining this on The Athletic recently, is because that streaming bubble kind of sort of popped and no one wants to admit it. Almost everyone's losing money in that venture right now. And the key, and I've thought this for a long time, the key was always Netflix to me. If you were about to sell me on the idea that all these college football conferences, all of them are going to have their games on streaming, the biggest streamer 
would have gotten into the live sports game. And yet I'm sitting there listening to one of their executives recently talking to the New York Times saying, we are not in the live sports business. We're not going to be in the live sports business. For so long, people just thought, oh, it's going to happen. And they ignored the laws of entertainment, which won't be found in any history or philosophy book necessarily. But let me explain the laws of entertainment to you. They're very simple. If you love watching The Office, whoops doesn't. If you love watching The Office, you ever watch two episodes at one time? Of course you haven't. Only a psychopath would behave like that. If you want to watch a movie, The Words, for example, you ever watched The Words and also Silence of the Lambs at the same time? No, only a psychopath would do that. Have you ever watched two football games at once? Of course, everybody does it. If you can get away with it, you watch three or four of them at the same time. You can't do it in the streaming world. Or you got to be a total nerd to figure out how to do it, and the majority of us aren't. And so instead... The laws of entertainment suggest that anything you need to watch multiples of simultaneously is not going to work in that world. And sports are that. And college football is that. And even if it wasn't that, if it's harder to find, which the games are when they go to streaming, conferences with options are not interested in putting a lion's share of their inventory there. So I know it sounds cool to say everything's going to streaming. No, it's not. I dare you. I dare you to bet me that every NFL game will eventually be on streaming, or, or every Major League Baseball game, or every college football game will eventually be on streaming. I, I dare you to bet me that. I don't mean the ability to stream. Of course, you, you have the option to do it with every game now. I'm talking about streaming only. I'm talking about turning on CBS on your television and not being able to see a game at 3.30 on Saturday. That is not happening in the near future, or in the mid-future, or in the long-range future. That's not happening. But in the meantime, we have a little situation here that I don't know the conclusion to. Because what happens if things blow up in the ACC is probably something that happens parallel to if things blow up in the Pac-12. And I want you to understand what I'm saying. There's no skill in knowing whether this is going down. And I don't even know litigiously how it would work itself out. But I think there's a world where really smart people with law degrees figure out how to get FSU and Clemson out of the ACC if they need to. And there's going to be a large chunk of change that has to be swallowed. There's a pretty big bullet that has to be bitten. But I don't think it's quite the size as is spelled out in that TV contract or media rights deal, only because I think there are loopholes that smart enough people can find. Summarizing that, you could see FSU and Clemson on the move to the SEC in the really near future. And it could coincide with seeing the Oregons or Washingtons or Arizona or Arizona States or Colorados of the world on the move, too. It's happening on both coasts. The Big 12 looks smarter and smarter by the day. But then again, who knows? What looks smart today in such an uncertain world could look foolish tomorrow. Someone's going to be made to look a genius here. And someone's going to be made to look like a fool here. And in reality, they were all just playing a roulette. Someone properly bet red and someone improperly bet black. And as Bruce Hornsby would say, that's just the way it is. Moving on, some people are being very, very rude to our friends down in Gainesville. And I'm not going to stand for it, but I'm going to take a sip from the chalice first. How should I start this? Colin. I mean, what, what would be a good endpoint for you? I think I got a good one. Here we go, Colin. Okay. <clears throat> Clear his throat. Did you hear that Florida football is imploding? Because I heard it this week. I thought people were joking, but they weren't. And so when I got done laughing, I said, oh, you're serious. Okay, well, 
give me the evidence. I'm willing to hear you out. And then they gave me the evidence. And then they said, all right, we're finished. And I said, I see no evidence. You told me some things. I don't see evidence that the program is crumbling. I actually didn't even know they had started making their argument yet. So here's what's happened if you missed it. It's been over the past several days. What happened is, this is crazy, so follow me. Three coaches left Florida. They didn't quit football. They left Florida for jobs in the National Football League. You've heard of that. That's the one they play on Sundays. You had Kerry Colbert, wide receivers coach. He goes from Florida to the Broncos. Not Boise State, Denver. You had uh, Patrick Tony and Will Piegler go from Florida to the Cardinals. Not Louisville. They went to the Arizona Cardinals. And that equals the program's crumbling and people are abandoning ship. Most of you on message boards have not a single second of nautical experience under your belt because I really get the sense you don't know what it means to abandon ship. I don't really think you guys know what it means to jump ship either. Normally, when you're going to use that vernacular, it means people are either taking lateral moves or they're downgrading or they're just jumping in the ocean. They're just saying, forget it. Nothing. No job is better than where I'm at right now. Uh, best I could tell, please correct me if I'm wrong. Best I could tell, these dudes did what you would call professionally upgrading their situation. They went to the NFL. I have watched it happen with other coaching staffs over this past cycle, and they were accurately described as career advancement moves. But you see, other programs didn't play terribly on the field last year in every case, and Florida did. So, of course, what do we remove when you don't have the best of seasons? We remove benefit of the doubt. Look how shaky the chalice is right now. That's how people feel when they watch Florida. So there's this group of people out there, and this probably doesn't come as a shock. There's this group of people that think Billy Napier is a dud hire, and Billy Napier is not going to get the job done at Florida, and Billy Napier, blah, blah, blah. So anything that he does and any... Any remotely negative headline that comes out of Florida, it's just this indictment on Billy Napier, and it's a further indication that this program is fading off into the abyss. They could be right about Napier's future. They could be wrong about Napier's future. But in the meantime, regardless of whether they end up being right or wrong, there's going to be this ocean of anecdotal evidence that they swim in, same way as if you think a guy's going to pan out and little sporadic completely coincidental things happen and you say, see, see, I knew he had his act together. It's like if your uncle Earl is on the street corner, we've all been there before. Uncle Earl's on the street corner and he sees pigeons fly away from a building. And then 10 minutes later, the building's burning to the ground. And uncle Earl says, I, I knew that building was about to burn to the ground. Those pigeons should have told us all. The pigeons just flew away because they're pigeons and they fly away. It happens multiple times every day. Grandpa Earl so let's get you to bed. You didn't necessarily foresee anything. There are sometimes just things that happen. Pretty much every college staff deals with churn in some shape, form, or fashion, and it's not an indication at all about what the future holds. Correlation and causation. You know that whole thing. So there's no guarantee Billy Napier is going to be a success there. There's no guarantee he's going to be a failure there. I'm just saying whenever we figure out what the answer to that is, I don't foresee us going back to three assistant coaches going off to the NFL and saying, that was the canary in the coal mine. It's, just, it's called February. That's what it's called. And it's called needing something to talk about. I, if I wanted to, if I really wanted to enrage people, 
I could even sit over cross-legged in the corner and let everyone just exhaust themselves, hating on Billy Napier. And then I could say, this could be a positive, couldn't it? And they would say, what do you mean a positive? And I would go, they went to the NFL. NFL doesn't hire trash. All this is telling me is Billy Napier knows how to put together a darn good coaching staff. And that's what I would do. Now, I don't smoke, so I would literally use the pen, but I need to add it for effect. Cam Newton has done such things in the past. There's already a compressed window for success. And it's kind of stupid sometimes. And especially if you're not already a proven coach, there's an even more compressed window for success. Basically, you used to cook in the oven, but now since we have a microwave, people want to pop it in the microwave, and that's not how success actually works. And if you come from the Sun Belt, if you're not Nick Saban, if you don't already have a proven track record, then they somehow find it logical to give you less benefit than that, less time. I can't change that. I can tell you it's dumb eight days out of the week. I can't change that. What I can do is just humbly suggest, though it may fall on deaf ears, don't add to it. Don't add to it by participating in this nonsense. If his coaches quit on him, if his coaches left to go coach at Florida A&T, yeah, that's a red flag. That, that's, that's something worth talking about. Kendall Bryles is now the offensive coordinator at TCU, whereas he was the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. That was worth talking about. And we did pretty thoroughly on the show. That's worth talking about. Billy Napier doesn't have guys leaving and going and taking pay cuts and going to lesser jobs or at best equal jobs. They went to the NFL. There is literally no higher rung on the professional ladder than the National Football League for a lot of these guys. It's, it's happened since these two sports have existed next to each other, and it will continue to happen. Kirby's going to lose them. Billy Napier's going to lose them. And you'll call one of them a genius that is springboarding guys to success. And then you'll call Billy Napier a guy on borrowed time. Thin ice with hot blades down there in Gainesville. Yawn. Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all of your outdoor sporting goods, supplies, and needs. Did you know that? That's actually true. This is actually something I can get behind. And although I did sound like an AI robot there, they didn't write that. See, the Academy ad read always has one word on the piece of paper, and that is Academy. And that's just to remind me to, to do the ad read. They've been with us almost from the beginning. Yesterday was our three-year anniversary, which I just realized in real time. So Colin will put some balloon emojis on, the, uh, on some of the thumbnails. And that will conclude this year's celebration of our anniversary. Academy Sports and Outdoors, though, have been there for a long time. And the thing about it is they weren't here. That, like This company didn't have a relationship with Academy before Late Kick got here. Little backstory, how, how it worked, and it's going to take like 20 seconds. Don't worry. A lot of their reps watch the show. This is how most of our partnerships with advertisers form, and my email inbox is always open for this reason. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. Academy reached out, and we formed a relationship with Academy. I have since met their guys in person several times. I think they'll be in town actually next week. Remember that, Jesse. I need you shaking hands with the right people. And so they got on board. They eventually became our presenting sponsor, and they have single-handedly made this show financially float. There's a reason we get to go on the road 
every single week of the fall, and we don't have to worry about it. The company doesn't even ask us about cost because we bring cats like this in. And so Academy Sports and Outdoors not only makes it to where you don't have to pay a dime for the show, they make it to where we don't have to pay a dime as a staff to do anything. And they also have this other benefit just in their back pocket, and that is anything you need in terms of outdoor sporting goods supplies, they've got in their store. Part two, if you can't get there in person, academy.com. That's the hookup. They are our friends. That's what a partnership means around here. We have, we have what is called right of first refusal. So, you know, a lot of companies come and it doesn't make sense for us to do business with them. Some of you would call that financially unsound because, yes, we do turn money away. But I want to I partner with folks that make sense and companies I actually believe in. I believe in Academy. That's why we're partnering with them and have been for a long time and will for a long time to come. And I would humbly suggest that you pay them a visit in person or at academy.com. Let's, uh, Colin, I think we're talking about Big Ten here for a second, right? Yes, sir. Colin's laughing for no apparent reason. Um, we got some situations arising in the Big Ten right now. It's spring football. No one has all the answers, but I did want to look around the conference for just a couple of minutes right quick because some of you thought I was only going to do this for the SEC. No, no, no. I want to talk to you about Michigan, and I want to talk to you about the transfer portal class they just brought in. I know a lot of folks have been paying attention to other programs that go to the portal out of desperation. Well, Michigan, not desperate. They have very first world desperation problems, like they lost Mozzie Smith, uh, Mike Morris out the door. So yeah, we've got some we've got some holes to fill. They need a number two corner. I think they lost two corners, or two DBs. So they've they've got some relative holes to fill. They're not glaring. Uh, they've got a lot of really, really good offensive firepower coming back. But what I'm interested in is they went to the portal a lot. They brought in one, two, three, four. They brought in seven guys, I think. And a lot of those are going to be counted on to contribute immediately. I, I got to be honest, I didn't know until right now Jack Tuttle played for Michigan. I did not know that. So that's news even to me. That's a quarterback. So watch that this spring. Once Harbaugh's done with his community service, clearing roadways up there, and God bless him for it, how many of you would have done that, by the way? Which is exactly what he wants me to say. Once that's wrapped up and spring's wrapped up and we start getting a sense of how those portal pieces are falling into place, it's, it's very, very much a margin of inches here and there. Because this is a team that was best in the Big Ten two years in a row, but got to the playoff and couldn't get it done. And so you're not talking about wholesale changes. The next program I'm talking about, they're not talking about wholesale changes either. That's Ohio State. You got two of the lead dogs in the Big Ten, and you're just you're looking for very, very slight course corrections that get them where they want to be. At Ohio State, it's clear as day. It's like Bama and Georgia. The biggest questions at these three programs are about the quarterback competition. Ryan Day has been on record and will continue to be on record as saying we got an open quarterback competition here. Kyle McCord's been there for a while, but Devin Brown's also in there. And while you know far less about Devin Brown, I firmly believe what they're saying when they say that's going to be an open quarterback competition. They've also, you know, they've, they've got a situation where nationally and especially regionally, you're going to hear a whole lot of people irresponsibly saying, oh, there's a gap now. There's a gap between Michigan and Ohio State. There's not. There have been two years in a row where Michigan won a football game. There were several years in a row where Ohio State won a football game. I know I'm diminishing the value of the game. Uh, I would never do that the week of. You guys know I've been there two years in a row. Life-changing experiences. I'm just saying for the sake of logical argument, there's not a big gap. It's just course correction that has to happen. And one of those is if I were to have seen C.J. Stroud play 
the Michigan game like he played the Georgia game. Who's to say that outcome wouldn't have been different? That's in the past. The spring is now. The past is past. The spring is now. What a quote. T-shirt idea. And so that open competition, keep an eye on that. At Penn State. Get ready, Jesse. Jesse's got to sit down when I talk about Penn State. Um, very simple question here. It's not who's going to start at quarterback, but the simple question with Penn State is, what caliber of player do we get in Drew Aller at quarterback? Is he a guy, for example, that walks around and turns, turns water into white claw? Is he able to heal the sick and the blind, or is he merely a really good college quarterback? Because if he is the latter, a lot of the Jessies of the world are going to be disappointed because there is a lot of stock being placed in Mr. Aller. I'm putting it in there, too. I'm just saying if he fails to live up to expectation, Jesse is my safety. Jesse is like a shield in the Drew Aller hype category that I hold in front of me until he succeeds, and then I toss Jesse to the side, and I accept the praise. I just, as I've told you before, and I'll tell you once more, all I ask for in life is a pack full of white t-shirts and all the praise and none of the blame. All that is free. And subscribe to the channel, please. Those four things are free. Like the video. That's the fifth free thing. Uh, also, slightly lesser headline clickbaitish thing here. P.J. Mustafer in the middle of that defensive line, he's gone. So let's see what they do there. Also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse. No, don't. Just pretend I'm right. Dante Cephas, I don't think, is in for the spring. So we won't be looking at the absolute full allotment of wide receiver and skill talent, but most of them are there. This is not a Penn State team that elsewhere has massive holes to fill, which is different, much different actually than we've said in years past. That's going to be, that's, that's a team that had me and Brandon Walker agreeing the other day. That's the potential that Penn State has. Michigan State, two questions for you. I would be willing to bet you cannot answer these in totality in the spring. Are you going to play defense this year? Are you going to be able to run the ball this year? These are some awful numbers in front of me. They were 75th defensively in points per game last year. They were 103rd defensively in defensive yards per game. They cannot run the ball. It's been the most glaring standout inefficiency of Michigan State football. They were 110th in rush yards per game last year. Kenneth Walker came through there, I guess, two years ago now and was great. Should have been a Heisman finalist, in my opinion. And then he leaves, and you think to yourself, well, you, it's like Gary Bertier. You cannot replace a Gary Bertier. You cannot replace a Kenneth Walker. They might as well not have had one in the backfield. Air would have done better than what Michigan State did at running back a majority of last year. And it's just, it's so, it's so hard to fathom when you watch that, because I think of Mel Tucker, normally the program reflects the head coach. And the two things, if I had to guess of what Michigan State would do under Mel Tucker would be pound the rock, play good defense. And they did neither of them last year. So have fun in spring with that. Uh, lastly, two programs here to watch, obviously for the same reasons, Nebraska and Wisconsin, new head coaches. We got Matt Rule up there in Lincoln. He's got Jeff Sims to work with at quarterback. I am a little excited to watch the competition between he and Casey Thompson there, but also Wisconsin, Luke Fickle. I know this isn't breaking news anymore, but I still really don't think it has settled in how massive that hire was. And we were going back for some research purposes that we do this time of year, and we were reviewing some of 
what we said this time last year. It is not a pretty picture sometimes. So please don't take it upon yourself to go back and watch some of our old videos. Counterintuitive business strategy, but it's for the best. Um, this time last year, you know what I was saying about Luke Fickle? Actually, I shouldn't spoil this because we're going to talk about it later in the show. But I'll just tell you, that Cincinnati team that he had two years ago sent nine guys to the NFL draft. That was the third most out of all of college football. Cincinnati, in the G5 ranks, sent the third most amount of NFL draft picks as anyone did in college football. So he got Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator. He's at Wisconsin now. Oh, you can't overstate how huge that is. I think media rights money, by the way, is reflected in those two hires. I'm not sure that Nebraska and Wisconsin would have not been serious enough. I don't question whether you guys are serious. I, I, I don't know that that kind of commitment and that kind of aggressive on-the-hunt mentality, kind of on-the-prowl mentality in the hiring market would have existed if there wasn't a little nudge in the ribs from the folks who were signing over those massive media rights deals saying, hey, that stuff you're doing at Wisconsin or Iowa or Nebraska, it's not good enough. Uh, these, these networks are not paying just for Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. We, we got to be better as a conference, as a league, and that starts with hiring better coaches. And we're all the beneficiary because, yeah, the Big Ten, there's no excuse for it not to be better. It's not quite the ACC, uh, but behind those, those two or three lead dogs, there's no excuse for it not to be better. So that's what I'm watching this spring. They are watching us. Sorry about that on the, on the graphic there, Colin. Um, there, there are the Big Ten title odds. College football playoff ad, odds actually in the Big Ten. Ohio State, I know that the, you guys are not comfortable with this, but I just want to let you know again, those odds makers, they're at it again. Ohio State's going to be favored to win the conference. Ohio State's going to be favored out of all the teams in the, in the Big Ten to go to the playoff and win the national championship. And you're going to say, that's crazy. They've got to go to Ann Arbor this year. And the odds makers are saying, believe it or not, we know that. We have access to the schedules too. If you disagree with us, place your bets. And some of you have made a lot of money doing that the past two years. It's not like they're always right. I mean, and then that gets into the whole philosophical, well, what are odds really meant to do? Reflect the true opinion of Vegas or to split the action in the market? I would suggest a little of both. That's what I would suggest. They're watching us in Wheeling, West Virginia, Demopolis, Alabama, and Cincinnati, Ohio. Thank you so much. Fruitful and fun-filled exercise here that continues in this show tonight. How well do you remember 2009? Some of you were challenged by me last week. Change one thing in history to change all of college football. And we've had some really good ones. You can go back on the YouTube channel. It's all archived there. 2009, what was happening there? Nick Saban had yet to win a single championship at Alabama. Not a conference title, not a national title, didn't have a single Heisman winner. He was still just in his third year at Alabama. Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee. And I want to ask you today, how well do you remember what they would call Rocky Block in the SEC? But outside of the SEC, if you live in Omaha, Nebraska, you probably don't remember the SEC league schedule from 09. Well, here's the sitch. Alabama's number two in the country, I think. Tennessee's got some losses on their resume. Kiffin, again, as I said, is the head coach there. And they go to Tuscaloosa. Bama's a big favorite. They're undefeated. We get deep into the fourth quarter. So deep, in fact, immunity, that Tennessee's lining up for a potential game-winning field goal. It's 12-10. to 10. That's the score. 
part of the end zone at Bryant-Denny Stadium that was being constructed. It's not even finished yet. That's how long ago. Alabama didn't even have a full bowl of a stadium. And they blocked the kick. Terrence Cody, his second blocked field goal of the day, throws his helmet off. Some sticks in the mud out there say, should have been penalized. Should have had to play it again. Untimed down. To that I say, I spit on the suggestion. But I do want to ask you a question. What if I change this? That's one moment. What if I just, what if I, first off, I need to just cut Julio Jones' legs off back there because if Cody didn't block it, he would have. But what if that is a made field goal? Tennessee beats Alabama 13-12. to 12. The Atlanta Braves will win a game or two in a more high-scoring fashion than that this year. But baseball notwithstanding, what would have changed here? We had to rack our brains today and ask ourselves what would have happened. The first and obvious question is, what happens to Bama? You see, elsewhere when we've done these little exercises, everyone has just said, along with me, well, if they didn't win it that year, they would have won it several more years. And I still believe, even if Bama wouldn't have ended up winning the title this year, they would have won it in several other years. But they may have still won it in this year. Now remember, we're not in the playoff era here. We're in the BCS era. Following this loss, if, if Bama were to have lost, they would have fallen out of the top four. As it stood coming out of that game, it was Florida number one, Bama number two, Texas number three. That's who they would eventually play in the national title game. Iowa, still led by Kirk Ferentz, who was already like a decade into his tenure at that point. Iowa was number four. You had Southern Cal with one loss at five. TCU, one loss at six. LSU, who Bama still had to play, one loss at number seven. So there's the first theory that the loss may have just knocked Bama out of the national title picture, even if you played out the rest of the season as it did, which is impossible, but let's just assume for a second. I ultimately think it still would have come down to that matchup in Atlanta against Florida. And Bama handled Florida pretty convincingly that year, handed, handed Florida their first and only loss that year, that's the one where Tim Tebow cried. That's the one that really signified a changing of the guard in the SEC. It was the beginning of the end of the Urban Meyer era at Florida. But even if that were to happen, think about what could have happened. Because the, the results of this game reverberate far beyond just Alabama. What happens to Tennessee? I think this is more fascinating than what happens to Bama. Bama's going to be Bama eventually, even if they're not that year, because they got Nick Saban and a long time ahead of them. I was thinking about what happens to Tennessee. Kiffin stayed there one year. Could there have been something that happened because of this win that convinced Lane Kiffin to stay at Tennessee? And if he stayed at Tennessee, granted, there would have been a maturation process that was required. I think we all acknowledge that by this point, including him. But if he stays, do you have any idea what would have happened to Tennessee recruiting if they stayed sanction-free? which, knock on a mic stand, if they would have stayed sanction-free, they were going to kill it in recruiting. They already had done a good job in one cycle, and Kiffin had made recruiting just a, like an entertainment spectacle. He just openly went at Urban Meyer. There was no love lost. I don't know if you remember this. Kiffin and Urban Meyer genuinely didn't like each other, and I remember when he got to the SEC... Kiffin made it a point to really be reverent towards Nick Saban and really respectful. He did none of that towards Urban Meyer. 
I don't know what was behind all that. I'm just saying that was the case. And that would have probably not been the case that much longer because I think Meyer would have been gone a short time later anyway. Uh, that, that, was, that was a f- candle that was burning at both ends at Florida. It burned hot for a little while, but it was a candle burning at both ends. But if Kiffin is convinced to stay, if he convinces himself to stay at Tennessee, if he doesn't go to Southern Cal, that is really interesting because they would have had a ton of talent. We were reading some articles and remembering or refreshing our memory, rather, about all these kids who came along afterwards, who ironically, majority of which ended up going to Clemson, a lot of their top talent that ended up going to Clemson, they're on record one after the other of saying, at one time, Tennessee was my dream school. Here's the problem. Uh, I got to turn the paper sideways for this stat. Paper pop. After Kiffin did leave Tennessee, seven of the next 12 seasons were sub 500. Ugh. Just gross. That's Tennessee. Not Tennessee State. The University of. Seven of the next 12. More than every other season was sub 500. It's not supposed to be that hard to make a bowl game at Tennessee, but it was. You had a coach wearing orange pants. You had another coach that insisted on having trash cans on the sideline. It was just a five-alarm mushroom cloud orange disaster for a long time. They've got things fixed. But like I said, only now have they gotten things fixed. And by the way, if you're young, if you're 10 years old, welcome to the family. And you watched the Alabama-Tennessee game this past year, and you want to know why those people went crazy and tore down the goalpost and threw them out into the river, it's because of that. It's because of that, that stat I just read to you. Can you imagine? Seven out of 12 seasons below 500, and they kept showing up. Credit to him. So I don't know what would have happened to Tennessee if they kept Kiffin At the very least, it would have been more interesting. And thirdly, Mark Ingram won the Heisman this year. Did he not? Yes, he did. And it was very close. And even at the time, with an undefeated Bama, a lot of people thought Indomitian Sue maybe was most qualified to win that award. You're looking at one of them right here. Sue finished third. Toby Gerhardt finished second. That would have been a good trivia question to ask you because I remembered Sue finishing second. I did not remember Toby Gerhardt being in the mix. He was. He was second. Mark Ingram was first, but it wasn't a runaway by any stretch of the imagination. So I could have, I could have changed uh, the, the Alabama trajectory. I could have maybe changed the Florida trajectory. Could have changed the national championship matchup. Could have changed the future of Tennessee football. Could have had a new Heisman Trophy winner there. It all comes down to one blocked kick. And that's why if you go on YouTube, that thing has millions of views. Because even today, people remember how impactful that was. Boom. Let's move it on. Very crisp show tonight. We're not done. I'm just saying we're moving along at a very, very quick pace. Main reason we got this new microphone is so when I take a sip out of the chalice, the audio is picked up on the mic. Because on podcast, otherwise you may just hear a bunch of silence and think the show's done. So I had a bunch of questions over the past month, and Davis asked a version of it. So I'm going to let Davis speak for a lot of you. He said, what is your take on college coaches suddenly going to the NFL? Is it because of NIL? Davis, I think the answer is yes, ellipses, which is just a bunch of dots. So it's yes, dot, dot, dot. NIL is partly to blame. I don't think there's any one reason, but I think there's an accumulation of reasons that really spell a shift in college football. And I don't think it's a good one, but I also don't think it has to be forever. It's very interesting that we just showed some Georgia B-roll. I tell this story a lot, although it's not my story. It's just I remember it happening. But I'll tell you once more, 
Two years ago, Kirby wins his first title at Georgia. Next day, you know, they do the, the interview with the coach. I think Reese Davis was doing it. And you can talk about whatever you want to. You can use that time to market your program, to recruit, to do whatever you want to. And I remember pretty vividly, we were in Indianapolis, where I'll be this week. And Kirby said, we got a problem in the sport. Hope a lot of people are paying attention. We got good coaches who are leaving. We got good men who do not want any part of this anymore because the, the ask, the requirement of them is either undoable or it's, it's, it's technically doable, but not with a proper life balance, not with a proper mental health balance. They're getting burned out way too quickly. And for the first time in a very long time, coaches are looking at the NFL and saying, I'm going to go take it easy on myself and go coach pro ball, which makes no sense. If you are a very, very agnostic sports fan and you just like football in general, but you know, you watch the Eagles one day and you may watch Oklahoma the next week, but it's just kind of casual to you. That's fine. We, we are in the process of converting a lot of casuals to more hardcore fans around here, but that's okay. You got to start somewhere. That sounds ludicrous to you, doesn't it? For me to say the NFL is somewhere coaches go to have it easier, but it's not. It's a running joke. It's just an accepted fact of life in coaching circles right now. Now, Davis, here's the, I think, the problem. And this is where NIL partly comes into it. I think it's where the portal partly comes into it. So the number one thing with NIL is how much it's changed the landscape of talent acquisition. I don't think a lot of coaches have a problem with the idea that players can profit off their NIL. In fact, most of them don't. They're telling you the truth because I talk to them behind the scenes. They don't have a problem with that. They have a problem when it is used as an inducement in recruiting, and they have a problem that relationships don't matter anymore. It used to be the best recruiters were eventually rewarded with acquiring the most talent because they did their due diligence, they evaluated properly, they got ahead of the curve, but they beat the pavement to death. And they got in the homes and they knew everything they needed to know about the parents and the grandparents and the moms and the aunts and the uncles and the high school coaches. Imagine that, the high school coach playing a pivotal role. And Lane Kiffin talked about it this past cycle. Now it's just you come in two weeks before signing day, put your best offer on the table, and it's transactional. It's not really relationship-driven anymore. Well, a lot of coaches look at that spectacle and say, wait a second, one of my best tools was recruiting. One of my strengths was I was a relationship guy. I really connected with players. If you're cutting that out from under me, if you're telling me that's been deemed irrelevant, I might as well go coach pro ball. Then the other side of it is with the portal. What happens is not only do you still have to recruit, as you always did, and, and also, you know, hopefully hold your position group together, you know, coach your room, coach your guys, recruit your territory and your guys. But also now you have to, you have to recruit the guys already on campus and make sure they're good, make sure you're balancing all that and everyone's getting just enough playing time, everyone's appeased, and you're making sure you're keeping up to date on every rumor out there about which guy you may be in danger of losing. And then also... Because the calendar has been expedited with the early signing day, now also you're having to start the recruiting process of 10th graders and 9th graders way earlier than you used to. So imagine this. Imagine being a wide receivers coach at Kentucky. 
you're having to recruit three or four high school classes simultaneous to recruiting your own current college class to stay on campus. And then you're also having to master the NIL game, which is the slipperiest of slopes. And you're having to do all that and also fulfill your coaching duties. And it's like at a certain point, you look and you say, huh, it looks like they haven't given me more than 24 hours in the day like I always had, but they're asking me to do all this. I'm going to go to the NFL. And that's what's happened. So case by case, you never know whether a guy just always wanted to be in the NFL or not. But in totality, it's very easy to see that a lot of guys are leaving college football because it's, it's an unworkable situation. They look at it and they say, enough of this. Maybe I'll come back in a few years. A lot of them even love college more than the NFL. But a lot of what they have to do in their day-to-day, they don't consider college football. And I get it. I, I love covering it, but I get it. Let's delve into the world, the exciting world of bold predictions. And do me a favor, if you will. Oh, my computer froze over here, so let me just take a look. Yes, thank you guys. Oh, I got a good, good audience tonight. Thank you guys for watching live. The good news is you're watching. The bad news is a vast majority of you have not liked the video. Am I begging? Absolutely I am. It's what I do best. Please click the thumbs up button. I do have some exciting news. Jesse, I haven't even told you this. For the first time in the history of Late Kick, more than 50% of our audience is subscribed to the channel. However, it's like 51%. So half of you who watch our videos still aren't subscribed. And there's no fee. There's no string attached. There's a little red button on your screen and you click it and you're done forever. And from that point, we just encourage you to go swipe you the devices of your family and then subscribe on theirs. But that's, that's down the road, okay? This is the gateway. We just need you to do it first and foremost, and we thank you for that. Okay, back in the summer of last year, just like we'll do the summer of this year, I took a lot of your predictions. I said, pick the most serious one, the one you would bet money on, and I'm gonna tell you what I think about it, then we're gonna lock it up, and we're not gonna break it back out till the season's over. The season's over. And so it's go time. Start with the prediction we had about, uh, yeah, this, this is, mm, I had problems with this one. So the prediction that we'll start with is Bama has at minimum six guys with at least 500 plus receiving yards. I made this a nine and I was right and you were wrong. Feels good to say because I don't get to say it a lot. Jermaine Burton was over 600 yards receiving. Ja'Cory Brooks was over 600 yards receiving. The end. Next closest was Jameer Gibbs, and he's a running back, and they had two, a grand total of two. I think that will change this year, but who cares? Because I thought it would look a whole lot prettier than that last year. I mean, you did have Bryce Young, after all. So even he could not make a legitimate receiving room out of that crew. Stats and Info, a.k.a. Producer Jesse, has provided me with the following information. Bama's leading receiver had 677 yards. That's Jermaine Burton. That is the least amount of receiving yardage for a number one receiver at Alabama since... Hello? Anyone know? Bama fans, how far back would you have to go before you found a year where your leading receiver didn't even top 700 yards? 2011. And that was Marquise Mays. That's a little while ago. Next up, staying in the SEC for a second... But we're about to venture out of the SEC. Space Gator, 
said UGA will not repeat because they're not even going to make the playoff. Bad news here. Bad news part one is I only called that a five. I will defend myself vigorously in a second. But secondly, uh, the bad news for you, Space Gator, is I don't know if you've seen the end of the season. So spoiler alert if you haven't. Georgia wins it all again. Yeah. And it is, it is a total and complete annihilation. They so thoroughly splatter TCU in the national championship game, they play it indoors, and TCU's fans still get rained on. How does this happen? That's when you have your program going good. When you are slaughtering people to the point where they play with a roof over your head and you still manage to find a way for the opposing fans to get rained on. That's a true story. That happened. SoFi Stadium, beautiful facility. WrestleMania is about to be there in like six weeks. Belchie's going. It, they, it's constructed in Southern California because those people thought it would only rain straight down, and it did not. It rains sideways. Good old-fashioned sideways rain, like they used to have in Vietnam when Forrest Gump was over there. Fat sideways rain. So you're getting drugged by 50, and you're getting soaked. And no one dressed. No one brought a poncho. It was a sad, sad sight. Um, I, you know, there was someone by my side that night who made certain disparaging comments about certain TCU fans in a certain portion of that building. But I will not throw that certain person under the bus. But it's, it's someone's daughter. It is someone's daughter. Let's move on. Maryland. Yes, we always find an excuse to talk about Maryland on the show. Or so I said, apparently, in this segment when we did it. Maryland will be next year's pit. That's the prediction in August. Maryland will be next year's pit. A top 15 team with Talia Tungavailoa being a Heisman finalist. Jesse, I, I forgot about that second part. So that didn't happen. Here's the thing. Maryland wasn't bad. They, they had an eight-win season. It's just, it's just they, we went 10 steps beyond where we needed to in the prediction. But it was bold. I'll give you that. I put a nine on this. And I said at the time, and I'll reiterate now, I think people forget Maryland is in the Big Ten. The Big Ten East. It's one of the toughest divisions in football. Pitt is not. There is a long way between the Big Ten East and the ACC Coastal. And we found that out with this prediction. Pitt, uh, they had won the conference. They had a first-round draft pick at quarterback. They had the Bolitnikoff winner and Jordan Addison at wide receiver. That's what we were calling on Maryland to do. And it was just never going to happen. And they had a good year, 8-5. and five. They had a pretty good year. But it was not to be. Uh, next up, this one got me a little mad. It got a lot of us mad at the end of the season. So the prediction from Dorina was hooker for Heisman will actually be a thing. And it was. And it should have been a bigger thing, immunity. But uh, the Heisman voters found a way to rip that from our clutches. So instead, we were left watching Hidden Hooker have a great season, a season that, in my humble opinion, should have warranted him a trip to New York City, as a finalist, at least. But that didn't happen. However, this prediction was not bold, I thought. I put a four on it because I had remembered the year we were coming off of. I remembered that he was seventh in the country in completion percentage. If he was healthy, the whole year would have been higher. Only played 11 games. And he was well on his way to doing all this stuff in 2021. So 2022, I just thought was going to be a continuation. It was. And then some. 
And I think what cost him ultimately was he had to play Georgia. And the other guys didn't. Caleb Williams didn't have to play Georgia. Uh, Hendon Hooker did. And I also think the South Carolina game, which kind of derailed Tennessee as a team, I think that cost him too. Because otherwise, I think his numbers, and I just think his profile, his play, matched up favorably enough to get him sent to New York. But instead, he got screwed. We all got screwed out of it. It is what it is. However, I'm still going to count this as a good prediction. And also, this last one, I kind of mentioned this earlier. Michael said, Cincinnati goes undefeated this season. I called the prediction a nine because it was out of this world bold. And it didn't seem bold. Like a lot of, I remember people pushing back on me on this. There was, they were saying, how can you say Cincy going undefeated is a nine on the boldness scale? They just went undefeated, didn't they? They went to the playoff. I think they were undefeated. I can't remember. Anyway, they had come off a playoff appearance. And I said, that's why. They were sending nine guys to the draft. That's the stat I told you earlier. Only two programs in all of college football sent more guys to the draft than the University of Cincinnati did after the 2021 season. They, they weren't about to go undefeated again. Plus, they had a game at Arkansas in week one where they were going to be a dog. So it was derailed after week one. That, that was as cut and dry as it was to me. I looked at just the week one game. You're going to be about a touchdown underdog in week one on the road. So this could be done by then, and it was done by then. Famously, that's the week where yours truly was suffering from good old-fashioned caffeine overdose. So I, I just had to, had to feel my way around. Oh, I drink too much cold brew. I can't see. Uh, so that's, that's how Bold Predictions concludes tonight. Now, I have good news, and I've waited until the end of the show because this is, this is the kind of information that is reserved only for the most P1 of audience members. That's the most hardcore sector. I asked Jesse about 40-some-odd minutes ago, Frankly, I don't even remember what I was talking about anymore. But I asked him, what is a group of alligators called? And wouldn't you know it, a group of alligators is not called a pack. It is not called a herd. It is called a congregation. A congregation of alligators. Jesse, I don't believe you. I appreciate you guys watching tonight. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. We got a really really loaded late kick extra podcast dropping on tuesday the only way to get it is to be following subscribe to the podcast feed look at the bottom of your screen if you're already listening it's a moot point the bottom of your screen all those little icons we're on every platform you could possibly imagine find it at your convenience make sure you're following otherwise i'll see you live from indianapolis indiana this thursday until then take care have a great start to your week and god bless you